I first encountered the phrase, don't postpone joy, years ago in a store near Union Square in New York City called The Last Wound Up. It was a store filled with wind-up toys, pink mice that flip, fantasy monsters that shoot sparks of light out of their mouths, teeth that chatter, cars that run in surprising patterns around the coffee table. The store sold buttons and bumper stickers with their slogan, don't postpone joy. Simple, to the point, wise, and downright subversive. Expressed in a store dedicated to frivolous moments, one might not catch the paradigm-shifting message, but taken more as a way of life than as a moment's delight, don't postpone joy is a demand that could be considered countercultural in this fast-paced, competitive, ambitious society. Audre Lorde reminds us that the power of joy is played down in society, even at times willfully obstructed by society. This is because joy has to do with feeling deeply, and feeling deeply has to do with releasing certain kinds of control. Joy taps into our own inner authority regarding life, which makes us less prone to being controlled by others. <clears throat> control is overrated in society. Too often self-control is encouraged over and against self-expression. Too often managing what happens in our lives is seen as more powerful than welcoming what comes into our lives. Too often control over others is given more respect than shared power. Joy has to do with self-expression. Joy has to do with self-possession. Joy has to do with shared power. Now I'm not saying that we completely abandon control. We do need to create some consistency in our lives so that we can function with one another, traffic patterns, for example. We do need some routines so that we can build on what we've learned and strengthened, like training to drive or any kind of training or to run a marathon. We do need to be in touch with what gives us a sense of home, with what gives us a routine that can get us into a place of home and nurture it. But we can go overboard with control, thinking if we have everything in place, nothing will go wrong. I think most of us have dwelled in that kind of magical thinking, the kind that forgets that risk and vulnerability are important aspects of being fully alive. Control can discourage our thriving when it does not welcome new information, when it blocks the possibility of surprise and wonder. Joy defies this stagnation of life because it encourages an openness to wonder. It breaks through our constructed, controlled realities and taps into our innate understandings of connections, infinite nonverbal connections, connections that are ever-present, ever-active, ever-reaching beyond limits. And when joy brings us to our instinctive knowledge of our connectedness, it demands a reaching toward more connections. It encourages us to bring what we know into more discoveries and more discoveries. I've shared with some of you that years ago, before I was parenting, 
I attended a ministry training at UMAC, the Unitarian Universalist Mid-Atlantic Conference. UMAC is a week-long multi-generational conference in Pennsylvania dedicated to religious education for all ages with ample time to play with one another. I was very new in ministry and very serious about the gravitas of my position, its responsibilities, the need for my own integrity, and to become much, much wiser. One afternoon after my studies, I joined the conference on a whitewater rafting trip geared for beginners of all ages. I'd never gone rafting before. Two full busloads traveled one hour to the river site. I was warned to prepare to get wet. Twenty rubber rafts were loaded, five or six to a vessel. A guide prepped us with instructions before shoving off. The paddles, as he held up for demonstration, were meant solely for navigation. It was forbidden to use them for splashing, nudging, or tug of wars. <laughs> Necessary control. Although there were some giggles that started happening from the crowd. Odd response, I thought. <laughs> These, and he lifted up a bailing bucket, one per raft. These can be used in whatever way you deem necessary to get water in and out of the raft. Warrior cries emerged from the crowd. Uh-oh, they meant wet. As soon as we shoved off from the floor, the games began. The movement of the river sent us in the right direction, while most of the attention was dedicated to water fights. Veterans of all ages knew how to scoop the water in a motion and direct it into another boat with a kind of grace that an otter would admire. Smart veterans somehow managed to acquire two bailing buckets, which made them ominous adversaries and the focus of ad hoc revenge teams. Very soon, inhibitions were released by joyful, creative, wet interaction accompanied with laughter, shouts, playful competition, and spontaneous teamwork. Safety was ever watched by the guides, who remained dry, I might have. <laughs> And play ceased each time the river demanded attention through the rougher waters. I was exhausted and fulfilled halfway through the trip, as were others. I could not remember the last time I had laughed and played so hard with virtual strangers. The games ended naturally during a short rain. We were getting cold and knew to put our buckets down. The rafts by now were spread all down the river. Our raft team decided to drift for a little while, just be carried by the river. We rested, cradled in the moment. We just had that moment. We floated in silence, accompanied by the sounds of wind and water. I felt relaxed and content in the company of new friends. Out of nowhere, it seemed, I remembered a completely different time in my life a time when I was with a touring choir. At one of our stops, four of us, alto, tenor, soprano, and bass, were in a churchyard, and one of us discovered a dry well. So we turned our faces down and sang one of our songs into the well. I don't even remember the song, but I do remember the sense of peace, harmony, and wonder I felt as we merged voices which echoed in the well, resounding a beautiful mingled voice of praise. This is God, Anna Sexton would say. This is God, 
Anne Sexton would say. I hadn't remembered that experience for at least a decade, though it had moved me very deeply at the time. The presence of joy while floating down the river jarred my memory, reminding me of my capacity, present and past, for joy. I forget this capacity so often in the business of day-to-day -day living, and yet it is an essential key to discovering the fullness of life. Joy encourages connections in our body, in our mind, in our spirit, to that which makes life worth living. In the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the few books in the Bible which frames theology in philosophical and existential terms, the writer puts forth that joy is the one thing mysteriously present even amidst futility. Somebody want to hear some coffee? Do you want my water? <laughs> sure, okay. It's fine, I just... <laughs> vanity of vanities, this ancient Hebrew preacher cried, all is vanity. What does one gain by all the toil at which one toils under the sun? Kohelet, the preacher of the book, spent much of his life trying to shake his sense of meaningless and purposelessness. He worked earnestly through study, fieldwork, and research to find a reason for his being. He discovered amidst depression and cynicism that finding enjoyment in his toil was the gift of his God. That in fact the memories of his struggles, anxieties, and melancholy was answered by the ability for joy in his heart. It probably wouldn't surprise you to know that Ecclesiastes was one of the three books hotly contested within councils for three centuries as to whether it should remain in the canon of the Hebrew Bible. Even then, preaching joy was countercultural. The remembrance of joy is a recognition of the power of life to heal and comfort that which is broken in our spirit because it is a reminder of our deepest primordial knowledge of life's worth. And in reminding us of the gift of life, joy compels an answer. It is the instinctual yes connected to that from which all of our life sprang. An even more ancient reading from the Chandogya Upanishad speaks to this yes in our heart. As wide as is this space around us, so wide is this space within the heart. In it, both sky and earth are concentrated, both fire and wind, both sun and moon, lightning and stars. That one possesses here on earth and what one does not possess Everything is concentrated in this tiny space within the heart. Ancient Hindu text. This yes of life is fundamental in our Unitarian Universalist faith. Our first principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, testifies to the innate, unique, sacred yes of each of our lives. This is the ground from which our faith springs. This is the essence of our religious convictions, to affirm life in its struggle, to affirm ourselves as contributors and responders to this life, to affirm our ability to create a just and compassionate society informed by the ultimate connection to all of our births, that spark of life present in each of us. Joy stirs this yes and demands response. 
And that's why joy can be a subversive concept. A universal affirmation of life demands shared power. If we're connected to the yes of our lives and of life, then we, are, we have equal courage to say no to that which does not affirm life. When we tap into that deep and irreplaceable capacity for joy, as Audre Lorde describes, we can discern that which works against mutual celebration. As we nurture our joy, we strengthen our no to hatred, bigotry, unjust privilege, and negligence. This joy of which I speak is not a constant phenomenon. We're not designed to remain in such an intense state, at least not most of us. But it's true that if we do not foster joy in our lives, we can diminish our spirits to a sense of meaninglessness. It's imperative that we take time enough to find connections which help us rediscover that life is worth living. It's important work for us all to do. One New Year's Day, when our daughter was four, we were talking about what could bring happiness to our family and in life. My husband, Nick, said, if we all were healthy. Good. I said, if we all could help one another. But the deeper wisdom came from our four-year-old to make sure everyone has at least one hour a day in the playground. If joy has no room in our lives or in the life that we observe, then it's important to reach out for help. That which blocks our love of life should be addressed with all seriousness. One of the signs of depression is the movement toward isolation, the desire to cut ourselves off from others. The joy that isn't shared, warned Anne Sexton, I've heard dies young. A wise observation that she herself ironically detached from some years later when she took her own life. This does not negate her words for joy. It simply emphasizes that we need to keep vigilant to affirm life with and for each other. We can make joy an equal priority with work, in fact, a necessary quality in our lives, without which we will not be whole. We cannot prevent all sadness. We cannot prevent all destruction. And pain is clearly a part of our lives, often signaling a way toward healing. But joy is also clearly a part of our lives, an inborn potential and a key to our survival. It does not make us insensitive to the world's ills, but rather deeply in touch <coughs> with the yearning for connection. Joy does not make us frivolous, but rather serious about all that we can feel and face with one another. Don't postpone joy. It's the spark of life which we all share. It compels our visions to help create a world in which life is worth living for all its peoples. It demands engagement. It says, take this life, honor creation, participate, share. We can do this. We can find that joy. So may it be. Amen. <laughs>